Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark and put the poles on the ark and set the mercy seat above on the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set it up, set up the veil of the screen and screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the tabernacle in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil, and he arranged the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the golden altar in the tent of meeting before the veil and burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put in place the screen for the door of the tabernacle, and he set the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing, with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they went into the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court, so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out to the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Let's pray together. Father, as we come into your presence today to be instructed by you, I pray that you would come powerfully and wonderfully and clear our minds so that we can pay attention. There's a lot of details in this text, but they are important details that have great significance for our lives. So be with us now as we focus on these things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, in order to understand what is going on here, we have to go back to one of our first sermons in our series and do some review. If you remember the uh, sermon that we did on our first parents and their work, we said there that the work that Adam and Eve uh, was to do primarily uh, was liturgical. Uh, This is to say that they were to be used in extending God's garden sanctuary out into the world. The garden sanctuary was the original place that mankind met with God. And as a result of man's sin, man was cut off from the presence of God and he was kicked out of the garden sanctuary. But we saw that nevertheless, this work that God had called Adam and his descendants to do continued in the world. God did not take this duty away from man. He calls him to continue to keep and guard. Uh, These words that we saw were used to describe Adam's work in the Garden of Eden. Uh, We will see later on are described to use the work, uh, are, are used to describe the work that the priests do later on in the tabernacle. And they are to do this work of guarding and keeping in an effort to subdue all things to the glory of God. We said that 
Originally, man was to go out into the world and subdue, and as he went, he was to tell people that he met about the God that he worshipped. Remember, we said that the uh, Garden of Eden was located on a mountain, and we said that because there were four rivers flowing from it, and most of the time rivers flow downhill, uh, that that was most likely the case. And there are other passages of Scripture that locate the Garden of Eden on a mountain. So we can rest assured and be confident that it was uh, on an elevated place on a mountain. Now, Adam and his descendants were to travel down following those rivers into the lands that surrounded the Garden of Eden, and they were to work the ground as they were going. They were to take uh, the ground and they were to cultivate it and they were to transform it into something more glorious. And when they met with those people in the lands who would one day populate them, they were to trade with those people the things that they had made for the gold, silver, and precious stones that were prominent in those other areas of the world. They would take that gold, silver, and precious stones back up to the original garden sanctuary where they would adorn the place of worship, making it the most beautiful place on all the face of the earth. And while they were doing this, while they were going about this work of cultivating and transforming, they were to tell the people that they met as they traded with them about the God that they worshipped, and they were to invite them to come back up to the garden sanctuary with them and worship their God. And in time, those people would be converted and eventually take the message of God back with them to their homelands and worship God there with their families. And in this way, the garden sanctuary would continue to be expanded throughout the world until there were men and women worshiping the true God together with their families all over the entire world. This is the original picture. Well, something kind of huge interrupted this process, the fall of man. Uh, When man sins, he is... He is cut off from the presence of God and he is cast out of the garden. But as we have seen, God immediately came back and made a promise to set all things right one day through the seed of the woman. And as we have seen in our series, God is continually at work to do that and he does do it. God has not abandoned this original plan to subdue all things by way of a man in the world. He is still at work to do that even today. Now, let's fast forward a little bit. We have seen that God has taken the one man, Abraham, and created an entire nation from him uh, that he is going to use now to fulfill his purposes in the world. This is the nation of Israel. God has redeemed them from the bondage of their enemies, and he has promised them a land to dwell in where they will experience safety and security. And last week, we saw that God uh, gave them a law to live by while they inherited this land. And now we see that God has instructed them once again to build a sanctuary where he can once again dwell with his people in their midst and they can experience his special presence and blessing. That place is the tabernacle. While Israel is in the wilderness and when they um, initially go into the promised land, the place that they meet with God, the place that the special presence of God now rests in the earth is the tabernacle. And I've got a diagram up here of it. It's going to kind of help us in our study today. I've got this laser pointer to point things out. 
Um, but this is just kind of a base diagram of the tabernacle. It comes from Vern Poitras' book, The Shadow of Christ and the Law of Moses. And if anybody wants to study this topic further, I would highly recommend that book. Um, but here you just have sort of a base diagram. This is the outer perimeter up here, the holy place, the most holy place, and then the holy place, the laver, the bronze altar, and you have everything uh, marked, the ark inside, altar of incense, lampstand, table, and we'll go over those things individually, but I'm just kind of pointing some of those things out now to draw your attention to them as we go through uh, and talk about some of these details. So back in verse 16 and 17 of chapter 40, uh, we read this. This Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did in the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. It has been exactly one year since God has delivered uh, the people of Israel from the bondage of Egypt through the Passover. If you remember, we said that God delivered them during the first month on the 14th day. It was on the, between the 14th and the 15th day that God would deliver them. On the 14th day, they would slaughter the Passover lamb. And then that night, God would go throughout Egypt uh, killing all of the firstborn. And he did that. And we also said that the children of Israel were to celebrate that Passover feast as a memorial to God throughout all of their generations. So here we are one year later, and God instructs them to build this tabernacle so that they can begin offering sacrifice and celebrating this feast. It has been nine months since we talked last week, so we fast-forwarded uh, rather quickly, but it's been nine months for them since God has given the law to Israel on Mount Sinai, and during that time, uh, God instructed them on the way that they were to go about building this tabernacle. Now, question, where did Israel get the materials to build this tabernacle? Where did they get them? I mean, they just got delivered from Egypt, and they had to go um, abruptly in the middle of the night. Uh, they were basically slaves in that place. Well, if you, some of you may remember back in Exodus chapter 3, God told Moses that before he delivered the children of Israel from Egypt, he was going to get the Egyptians to give them their gold and their silver and their expensive clothing. And on the night of the Passover, God tells Israel to do just that. They go to their neighbors in Egypt and they ask them for their gold and their silver and they give it to them. So the Israelites plunder the Egyptians before they leave, interestingly enough, and they take with them the gold and the silver and the expensive clothing that they gave them and they use that stuff to build uh, this tabernacle. They did the very thing that Adam and Eve were supposed to do when they were in enemy territory. They gathered the gold and the silver from the people that they met with, and they were going to now take them back and use that stuff to adorn the temple of their God. You see that? And that is what they do. So what is this temple that they are building? It is nothing other but another garden sanctuary. It is another place where God will meet with his people in a special way. The place where God can meet with them and have fellowship with them once again. Look at verses 18 through 21. 
excuse me. Verse 18 reads, Moses erected the tabernacle. He laid its bases and set up its frames and put in its poles and raised up its pillars. And he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent over it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark and he put the poles on the ark and set the mercy seat above on the ark. And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. Here we see that Moses has been told to put together this entire tabernacle, and he does just that. It is set up. And then the Ark of the Covenant, which is the box where the testimonies would be kept, which is the Ten Commandments written on the two stone tablets, is placed inside the most holy place, and the mercy seat is placed on top of it with two poles on either side of the Ark for them to carry the Ark. So inside this first room up here, you have uh, this box, which is the Ark of the Covenant, and the two tablets that the Ten Commandments were written on are placed inside of that box. And then the mercy seat is placed over the top of the box, and that is the place where the priest would go in once a year and uh, sprinkle the blood to atone for the sins of the people. This is the place where the unique presence of God would dwell, this upper room here, this back room, Uh, throughout Israel's history, the most holy place. This is where God dwells. We read later that, excuse me, the pillar of cloud by fire, uh, the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night rested over that place in the tabernacle. And whenever that pillar of cloud would move, the Israelites would pull up the tent and they would follow uh, that pillar wherever it went. And whenever it stopped, they would set up shop there Again, and so that God was actually visibly leading the people by this cloud wherever he wanted them to go in the land. And that cloud always rested over the holy place on the tabernacle whenever they stopped. Then he, that is Moses, he puts the ark inside this most holy place, and then he puts a veil up to separate the most holy place from the holy place, which is that next room that you see up here. See holy place? This is the Next room, so he puts, a, he puts a veil right there to separate it. He puts the ark inside up there. Now, does anybody remember what this mercy seat looked like that he put over the top of the ark? Well, it had two angels on it with their wings spread out, uh, signifying the fact that these angels, these cherubim, were guarding the special presence of God. Uh, nobody is allowed to go in that room. If you go into that room unauthorized, you will be killed. Uh, So they are set up as guardian cherubim. And does anybody remember, it's interesting, uh, who was set up to guard the entrance of the Garden of Eden back in Genesis chapter 3? Well, it was none other than the guardian cherubim that we see here once again. So the most holy place is another Eden. This is Eden, where God is, and then this down here would be the garden. So the most holy place is another Eden. Now, is, um, if, this is the, if this is Eden, then the next room we would say is the garden. And it's interesting to note that in this garden you have a tree, right? And what was one of the things that Adam and Eve were cut off from in the, uh, in the Garden of Eden? The most prominent thing. Well, it was the tree of life. So here... You have the tree of life. You see that lamp that's in the shape of a tree. 
uh, on this would be the south side of the tabernacle. And then on the other side, you have the bread of presence, which is on the north side of the tabernacle, which, interestingly enough, is the other kind of food that Adam would have eaten while he was in the garden. Uh, In the garden, Adam only had access to two kinds of trees, fruit trees and grain trees. And so those are represented here by the lamp and by the fruit. Um, So you see, this can represent the Garden of Eden where man meets with God. It's a recapitulation of that situation in the garden all over again. Here in the tabernacle, this lampstand represents the light of God, which is continually shining upon God's people. And then the bread of the presence, there would be 12 pieces of bread, which represented the 12 tribes of Israel. So God is continually watching over his people here in this place and shining his light upon them. And then right in the middle, up here at the back, you have this altar of incense, okay? Uh, where the sweet-smelling incense is constantly going up into heaven. And during the time when sacrifices were being offered, uh, they were said to be a sweet-smelling aroma to God. When, he, when they offered up those sacrifices, he would smell them, he would breathe them in and be well-pleased with them. And that's what's being signified here. This good-smelling incense is constantly going up into the presence of God while these sacrifices are being offered up out here on the altar. So that's what's going on there. Finally, in the outer courtyard here, which is this perimeter, that's the outer courtyard, verses 28 through 33, you have this veil that goes around the courtyard. Let's look at that, 28. He put in place the screen for the door of the tabernacle, and he set the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered on it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing, with which Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet. When they went into the tent of meeting and when they approached the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses, and he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court so Moses finished the work. So there's this veil around the outside of the tabernacle. And I forgot to mention, there's a veil here that separates the holy place and the most holy place. And there's actually cherubim woven into this veil, which signifies that these heavenly beings are guarding this place. But you have another veil that goes around the outside of the tabernacle. And as you enter in the courtyard here, you have the bronze altar where sacrifices are being made by the priest. And then you have the, la- uh, the laver of the bronze laver of washing where the priest washed their hands before they went into the presence of God, the special presence of God, where it was manifested and ministered on behalf of the people. And any Israelite or Gentile who is now going to come up and offer sacrifice, any Gentile who's been converted, that is, they would have to come up to this courtyard and do it, and they would enter in over here at this entrance, which is on the east side. And interestingly enough, there was a guardian cherub set up in the Garden of Eden on which side of the garden? It was on the east side. So now you have this idea throughout all of human history where men are facing east, they are heading back east in order to worship 
God. And here we have this portable garden sanctuary set up that can be moved around where people come up and they uh, offer, they meet with God by offering up sacrifices here on the altar. And the priest does that on their behalf. And as men go through this process constantly of coming up to offer the sacrifices and drawing near to God, uh, they are doing that by way of blood. Because if you remember, we said Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden sanctuary, and then God immediately clothed them with the animal skins, signifying the need for a blood atonement. Blood had to be shed in order for men to come back now into the presence of God. And this is what the priests do on behalf of the people. They bring them back into uh, the presence of God. The priests are new Adams, bringing the people back into his presence and into a right relationship with him. And as we said before, the very words that described Adam and Eve's work in the garden, the, the, the work of, of guarding and keeping is the same words that are used to describe the work that the priests do to bring the people back into a relationship with God. Moreover, the bronze basin that I mentioned, this laver up here, uh, is the water that's right outside the tabernacle. And remember, there was water flowing from Eden uh, through the Garden of Eden out into uh, the world, and so that is represented there by the bronze altar. This is the cleansing, life-giving water, which now once again gives the people access to God by way of the priest. So, if we continue our theme, this courtyard out here, this large area where the sacrifices are made, would represent the world outside of the garden that Adam and Eve were to subdue. And men from all over the world would now come up to this place in order to draw near to God. So the pattern remains the same. Uh, in order to uh, draw near to God, uh, in order to get back into a right relationship with God, um, you must come by way of sacrifice and this is how they worship at this time. Um, and if when these men come up here to worship, if God gets a hold of them and they get a hold of him and take them, take God back with them, the message of God back with them, back to their homeland uh, and begin worshiping God with their families, they become little organizations of worship, little gardens of Eden throughout the world wherever they live. And so the original work that Adam and Eve were to do in the garden continues here with the priest, or excuse me, with the garden, uh, the tabernacle, and uh, with Israel. Israel represents Adam, and the tabernacle represents the garden. This is a new garden, and Israel is a new Adam. Finally, we come to this last portion of our text. If you look at verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. So we see here that the after the tabernacle has been uh, set up and everything is in place, the Lord comes to take up residence. What we see here is a fulfillment of what is known as the Emmanuel Principle. The name Emmanuel in Scripture means what? God with us, right? The virgins shall conceive and she shall bear his 
son, you'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And throughout Scripture, uh, the greatest promise that the people of God have is that God is going to be with them. I will be with you. Because if God is not with us, then we are done, finished, kaput. But um, on the other um, side of things, if he is with us, then we will be saved. Um, Because it is God who saves us from beginning till end, from first to last, uh, and everything in between. The whole Bible is pointing to this very promise. Uh, Ever since Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden and cut off from the presence of God, God has been at work to restore His people to Himself and and create a place where they can once again meet with Him and dwell with Him and they with Him forevermore. The promise of God coming to be with His people runs throughout the Scripture. And the first instance of this uh, that we see is when God makes a promise to Abraham. He makes a covenant with him and he promises to be with him and with his seed. And then he comes back and he makes that promise once again to Moses and to the people and then later to David and the people and finally to Christ and his people. Jesus is God with us. He is Emmanuel. Now there are three instances throughout the scriptures of God coming to dwell with his people in a powerful and wonderful way uh, like he does here, and this is the first instance. The second one would be when Solomon erects the temple of God uh, later on. God comes and he fills up the temple with his presence. But there is a third instance in which God comes powerfully and wonderfully in this way. Can anybody think of when that might be? If you think back to the day of Pentecost, God comes on that day to dwell among his people once and for all. He fills up the church, the body of Christ, with his spirit and takes up residence in them. We are now the temple of God in which he dwells. The church is the place where the special presence of God is manifested on the earth. And every time that we gather together here on Sunday morning to worship him, God is with us. Listen to Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Friends, the church is now the new garden sanctuary of God here on earth. It is the place where God comes to meet with his people in a special way. But naturally, some things are different since we're at a different era of uh, redemptive history. Some things have changed. The tabernacle was always pointing to something greater. It was pointing away from itself to something greater. It was pointing to a time in which God would come and dwell with his people in a way that he had never done so before. It was pointing to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the embodiment of the tabernacle. In John's Gospel, he says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word literally is tabernacled. Jesus came and tabernacled among us because he is the tabernacle of God. 
And in our passage that Kirk read uh, this morning, John chapter 2, we see there that Jesus understands his body to be the temple of God. Jesus is the sacrifice offered up on the altar. He is the word that washes us like the bronze laver. He is the bread of life that feeds us from the table. He is the light of God coming from the lamp that lights every man coming into the world. And He is God among us, and He has now come to dwell with His people by His Spirit in the church, and He will dwell with us forevermore. And as we have said, the church is now the garden sanctuary. So when, whenever men come into the church for uh, the first time, they go through the same process that the animal did in this tabernacle long ago. When men come into the church and they hear the Word of God preached for the first time, they are cut to the quick. And when they are convicted of their sins and they confess them and repent, they die along with uh, Jesus Christ, and they become a new, a new man, just like that animal died on the altar so long ago, at which time they then go through the, the labor of washing at the hands of the priest. They receive their baptism, and then they are granted entrance into the holy place, which represents the church, and they can now come in here and commune with us and with God at his table by eating bread and drinking wine. They experience the special presence of God. It's the same process. And it is the same for all those of us who come up here every week to renew covenant with God in worship. On the day of Pentecost, we read that the Spirit came to rest on the heads of men in the form of a flame. And that flame represented uh, the fire of God, the Holy Spirit. And it is the same fire that was burning on this bronze altar that was lit by God so long ago. It represents the presence of God. Friends, that fire comes to rest upon their heads because we have now become the sacrifices in the new covenant. We are to be living sacrifices. Every week when we come up here to draw near to God and worship and we confess our sins to God, we become that animal that was slain so long ago upon the altar on behalf of those people. Those animals always represented people. That is why the the people would confess, they would put their hands on the head of that animal and confess their sins over the animal because that animal symbolically represented them. But in the new covenant, we have become living sacrifices. And as we draw near to God and repent of our sins and confess them, we die once again. And then God comes every week by the sword of the Spirit, by His Word, and He chops us up and He puts us on The altar. Uh, The writer of the book of Hebrews puts it like this. He pierces us to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow, and by it he discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And after we have been dissected and thoroughly pulled apart by the word of God, we are washed by the water of his word and we ascend into the very presence of God where we commune with him by bread and wine at his table. It's the same process all over again and again, and it will continue to be this way. And then at the end of every week, God sends us back out into the world, right? And as we're going, doing whatever it is that we do in whatever situation that God has placed us, uh, we are to tell the people that we meet 
as we go about the God that we worship, and we are to invite them to come back up here to worship with us so they can experience the special presence of God in His garden sanctuary along with us. And as we labor faithfully, more garden sanctuaries will pop up here and there throughout the world until the whole world is one big garden sanctuary where people are worshiping God and meeting with Him from one corner of the planet to the other. And indeed, this is the picture that we are given at the end of our Bibles. In Revelation chapter 22, we see this garden situation recapitulated all over again. Just listen to Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. So we have a river, again, flowing from God. Right Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. Listen to this. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So it is this garden scene all over again. Friend, God begins His story fellowshipping with His people in a garden sanctuary. And as a result of the fall, men were cut off from the presence of God and kicked out of the garden. And all of human history has been an effort by God to restore people to fellowship with Himself where He can dwell with them and they with Him in His garden once again. God has made that possible through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the tabernacle of God. He has given us access back into the garden sanctuary. The story ends with God fellowshipping once again with His people in a garden through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are that city that surrounds the garden of God in Revelation chapter 22. And we are those who have once again been given access to the tree of of life. We have been given and granted access back into the holy place. So welcome back to the garden of God. Let's pray.